I know the wind drove you all in early and you didn't get in your five to 12 minutes of greeting, but uh, it's the beginning of the new year and we're seven days in and it feels like it's going faster than the entire of last year already. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I do know uh, about this morning, um, pandemonium chaos has already struck. Our brother Bill, who usually is up here doing worship, has been taken to the hospital with an emergency. So I would be appreciative if you could be praying for the Nelson family. I understand Mama's also at home sick. Daughter Sherry came from across the street from family ministries to go with Dad to the hospital. And Sophie's up at camp with our kids for the first time in seven years, finally made it to camp on a nice, beautiful, crisp winter, snowing, freezing morning. So that whole family has to be spinning this morning. So please keep that Nelson clan in your prayers and uh, if we get more information about that, we will let you know. And because Bill was also excited about today, it was the men's golf meeting is going to happen directly after the church service. I want to let you know the guys have still rallied. And so Kilby, John, John, there'll be a whole bunch of guys over there. We will figure it out on behalf of Bill uh, and what we need to do. So any of you guys that are interested in golf, uh, in two or three weeks, we're going at the, on a Saturday over at Costa Mesa. We're going to start some golfing time with the church. Just go across the street to the family room or whatever you call it. We have lots of different names for that building. The original church, um, Faith Cafe, Newman Hall. I mean, just pick a name, whatever generation you came from that you know it, and go across the street. And officially, I've heard that um, Joe V's funeral is going to be coming up at the end of the month as well. And that's the worship center. This officially is called the worship center. So for those of you who read the bulletin last week and say, worship center? We got one of those two? Yes. You, this is that. So this is what a multi-purpose room, family, sanctuary becomes. Every name that you have. So please, on behalf of everything that's going on this year, uh, find something and make it work. Good to have you here this morning. Uh, it's been a very busy start to the year as well. Um, Christmas was kind of a busy end as well for us. As you guys know, on Christmas, I was excited to have 21 of my family scheduled to come. We had a, like a place at El Matador set aside. Gary, the guy who owns it, set aside like a little room for us. And then my brother showed up and everyone else was sick as sickness swept through our house on both sides of the family. Um, we then went to Benihana's with $500 because we had no family, and we tore Benihana's up. I'm telling you right now, they have never flipped as many shrimp, never seen as many side orders. I think me, Jennifer, and Scott had more fun. There was a, there was a little family that was with us, and my brother was screaming, you know, when he's doing the choo-choo train, he's a grown man. He, it was, we, we just let it go, because where was the family, you know? And we almost spent that entire amount of money, so be careful if you have that much fun there, but it was a beautiful day. We made the most of it. But no Christmas, zero presents. We usually have Christmas before, Christmas Eve, and then Christmas after. So three separate Christmas, zero Christmas all the way through December. Tried it in January, wasn't that exciting. Not the same, trees dead, wilting over like Charlie Brown. And now I'm the only one left with lights still on in my neighborhood, and I'm trying to hang on to something, but I gotta let it all go, man. Because I did receive a blessing, and I wanna share that blessing. Mark, please, I pray this picture's of all the video, I never show pictures of anything. This picture has to be, that's a good one. That's what we're going to be doing, Acts 22 today. But that right there is a picture of my son, Casey, holding his son, Adam, holding our brand new grandson, Carson. So, 
I am now grandpa before 60 years old of six beautiful grandchildren. And I offered my son to hold him in that picture. I said, how about I hold you holding your son, holding your son. And then he looked at me and said, back off, take the picture and hurry up. So that's as good as it's going to get. But that little moment right there is just a reminder that, you know what? Sometimes the best laid plans that we have, right? The best laid plans, all these families, all this stuff. I mean, what Christmas and beautiful things come in? Family. I mean, I've been so blessed to think about all the different things that God has done. And because of that, along with all the blessing, I want to let you know, we're also blessed that at the end of the month, we're going to do our year-end stuff. We'll go over our budget. We're going to vote in the new elders, some stuff like that. I'm also excited to let you know that last week, as you guys know, Pastor Rod Randall spoke. Rod and Lee have been coming and blessing the church with uh, their presence for a while now, actually. Rod has decided to help join us on staff here. So Rod has officially come on staff, and he is going to help me as I transition what may be a kidney transplant in the future. And because of that, I thought it would be what a blessing to have such a skilled expert, a man who's been a senior pastor in this town for 30 years, his lovely wife sings, and just they're just such an amazing couple. So God is blessing and working things out. So Brother Bill goes down, Brother, Brother Rod steps in. We're going to keep doing what we got. And Chris comes off the tech board up there and does announcements. Uh, church, we're going to do whatever it takes to kind of get through it all. But I hope that you're blessed and encouraged. And of course, it is the beginning of the month, so we'll have communion at the end. And hopefully the elders have figured it out because that's what Bill was supposed to do is pick and choose the elders. But we'll figure it out and we'll be ready. So thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for keeping the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I can tell you, no matter what happens, no matter how busy it is, no matter how disheveled or confused you might feel, it's okay. You made it to church. You kept that priority to hearing God's word, having community. And I know that God will bless you this morning. So let me pray and uh, we'll ask the Lord to bless this time. Father God, as I, as I think about 23 in the year and just all the different things that you did from salvations in the church to baptisms in the church to just restoring marriages and just, just being the good father that you are, I can't help but think, even with the laughter of a small child in the back, how grateful I am for our children, for our families and for the blessing that this community actually is. I pray that we would all hold fast to that. What a blessing it is to have community. In the world we live in today, in the dysfunctional high-low of trying to watch the news and wondering where our hope and our joy and our strength comes from, it doesn't come from anywhere other than the cross. That affirmation that what you said would happen did happen. And the way that you said it would happen, it did happen. And the truth is, Father, as you sit on the right hand of your Father right now, it will all be in order as you see fit. So as we learned last week, I do pray, Father, that whatever the Lord's will is in our life, whatever that significant direction or guidance that the Spirit has been moving us in, that we would yield, that we would succumb to that Spirit, Father, and simply say, as you said in the garden, not my will be done, but yours. So bless this time this morning as we continue study in Acts. Thank you for this first church and these founders. I pray that everything we continue to say, do in this building, Father, brings honor and glory to and through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are in Acts 22. We are officially at the three-quarter mark of Acts, so we have um, seven more weeks left. So we should probably finish about the end of February, and hopefully we will start Romans, all things considered, uh, and the year will continue on in a beautiful direction as we study God's Word. From the start of the church in Acts 
to kind of the orthodoxy and theology that comes out of the book of Romans, uh, an incredible passage and incredible start for the year. I want to remind you something, though, that one of the things about following a passage like this is sometimes there feels like there's some redundancy and some kind of, does this feel the same? But even if it, if it does, if it feels the same, just think about this. This chapter, uh, chapter 22 that we're in today, I'll do, I'm going to do most of the chapter, read most of it. But chapter 22, compared to the last time we heard a story that was similar to this, was back in Acts chapter 5 when Paul had to give his testimony. And someone named Gamil was involved with this idea of who the testimony was. You're looking at about 15 years difference, 17 years difference from Acts 5 to Acts 22. The whole book's about 30 to 35 years that it covers. So don't never get caught up in the thing. Doesn't this sound familiar? It might sound familiar, but this is the ongoing trilogy of the birth of the church. And because of that, because everything that we do is for a reason, the reason is for salvation. So how do we always get to the main reason? One of the things that we're going to learn today is we've got to get to our testimony. One of the most important things that God has given you, one of the strongest tools that you have in your arsenal is not just prayer. Prayer obviously fires that thing up, but is your, is your testimony. What did God do for you? And how can you speak it? Because what we're going to see is as Paul continues to kind of go up against it, as Paul continues to struggle with one thing that he knows and he was warned of, matter of fact, he was warned of it back in Matthew. Matthew, uh, when Matthew told them, this is going to happen. This is going to happen to you guys. And when it does, stand down and let the word of God speak. Let the spirit of God speak. So for, for, review, for you from last week, we know this. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem, even though he's been warned. If he goes there and when he gets there, it's not going to be a warm reception. It's going to be problematic. But as Paul does with everything, he prays about it, he makes peace with it, and then verse 22 tells us he continues to go, even into death, he tells them, whatever the Lord has, I'm going to go. He gets to the city, he wants to check in with the guys, he goes to James, James is Jesus' half-brother, he checks in with him because he's in charge of the church there in Jerusalem, and he tries to find out what the situation is going on in town. The elders let him know there is a situation in town. They've been informed that Paul is teaching against the law. And this uh, teaching against the law is the idea that you no longer needed to be circumcised. Paul tries to, and here comes the Holy Spirit. Okay, never mind. I thought someone was coming in the door in the middle of the service. That would have been interesting. Uh, That kind of morning. Uh, And then as Paul agrees to do this, one of the things he thinks he can do to kind of appease the crowd because they're kind of uh, angry with him is go through this vow that he was going to make, this Nazarite vow, this let your hair grow long, read the Bible, don't eat certain foods. So he's trying to appease the crowd and try to calm them down. But before he can even do it, as we start in chapter 22, we're going to find out that he's going to be arrested. Now, Paul is doing this. The charges that they're going to make are three charges. One, that he's teaching against the Jews, okay? The teaching against the Jews means that the information he's providing to the people listening to him causes them to doubt Judaism. And doubting Judaism is blasphemy, and so it's punishable by law by death. The second charge that's going to come against him is that he's teaching the people that they're no longer under the law. Remember, the the Bible is not really in its development stage. It's still books are being written, so there's no organized book. So what they hold fast to is the Old Testament. And what they have of the Old Testament is the first five books, the Pentateuch. So that's what they're holding fast to is the idea of what was given to them in the beginning. And so whatever the law says, all 600 plus encouragements from it, they try to follow it. And now he's saying, hey, we're no longer under that law. We're freed from it and how grace has come into play. So he'll try to get to that. And then finally, this really harsh charge is that he brought a Greek, uh, Trophimus, into the temple. 
So the way the temple was set up was very specific. It had inner courts, outer courts, and all kinds of dividing areas to make sure that no one other than a Jew made it to the inside. So to bring a Greek, non-believing Gentile into the court would to be, to temple would be to defile it. That is a capital crime, once again, issued by death. Now, later on, we'll find out in verse 29, and I'll talk about it a little bit later, that that was only supposed, okay? It was a supposed or assumed about him. It wasn't even true. But nonetheless, the mob rallies, and they go to attack him. And so a Roman tribune, an officer of the thing, pulls him in and tries to protect him from that, and he's moving him towards the barracks. When he's moving him towards the barrack, Paul asks him in Acts 21, this is how Rod finished last week, can I address the crowd? If you're going to make these accusations and these charges against me, can I address the crowd, please? And then when the guy says you can, he's going to open up with his opening lines to my fellow Jews, brothers, and to the elders and to the priests of the Sanhedrin's fathers. Okay? That's, a, that's his line as he's opening up to everyone. He's inviting everybody into the conversation, and that's not what he normally did. He was normally someone who would just strictly go straight into the Old Testament and start teaching people about what the Old, Te- Old Testament had said relative to what he had now learned in his new understanding of Christ. Remember, on the road to Damascus, he was on his way to go persecute Christians. He was then called out by the Lord and, and blinded. So he's going to start off by identifying himself. He's going to let people know who he actually is, what his credibility is. I'm a trained Pharisee. I've been sent by the high priest and the elders. So yes, I'm very zealous to persecute the church. Anyone that's going against Judaism, I have no problem with that. And then he will slowly kind of walk through and explain, but because we're no longer under the law, because I'm no longer under the law, I will explain to you by using my testimony how God has freed us from that. He describes his uh, returning to Jerusalem and all the different things that happened when he tried to originally come back to the Jews and they did not want anything to do with them. So God said, okay, new commission, you're going to the Gentiles. And ultimately he will address the charges of uh, unfounded by bringing someone into the church. It's just conjecture. This is something they assumed. And so he's going to walk through it very slowly with them. Now the goal, like I said, whatever he does, however he does it, he wants to get to this one consideration. Matthew uh, 10, 19 said this, Jesus warned the apostles in the upcoming persecution, he told them, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious on how you are to speak or what you are to say. Why? For what you will say will be given to you in that hour. So he knows if it's the Lord's will, okay, that's what we learned from last week. If it's the Lord's will that I'm put into a difficult or an adverse situation, then the Spirit's will must be to give me what I need to say and to speak. And so that's a really good point to just start with this morning. <clears throat> if, you, if you're one of those people who are like, well, you like speaking, and some people like speaking, but I don't like speaking. I feel very intimidated when I'm asked to speak. That may be true, but the reality is relative to your testimony and relative to being able to communicate the gospel, if the Lord wills you to do that in a situation, you must have a place that you fall back, hold fast on And one of the first things I can encourage you this morning is that place you can fall back and hold fast on is that God puts you in that situation. The Spirit's responsibility is to speak through you. So that being said, that's what he's going to do. So let's begin reading here in Acts 22, uh, 1 through 11, and then we'll tear those uh, first few verses apart. One quick sip. And ready to go. Brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. And Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicily, 
I was brought up in the city. I studied under Gamil, and I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. And yes, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and the council can call themselves to testify, I even obtained these letters from them to the associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came to Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, for whom you are persecuting, he replied. And my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice who was speaking to me. Verse 10, I asked, get up, the Lord said, go to Damascus, and there you will be told all you need to have been assigned to do. My companions then led me by the hand into Damascus, because there was a brilliance of the light that had blinded me. So as we ended the conversation last week, Rod, he reminded us, the Lord's will be done. So in this situation, what we see is the Lord's will is showing himself to Paul from the very beginning that one of the things I want you to do, one of the places I want you to go to, is not only going to be hostile, but you're going to be falsely arrested, put on trial, and then given a chance to speak in the midst of all that. And what are you going to do? And the very first thing that we see Paul doing, and I think this is a fabulous point for you guys as he speaks in their own tongue. He speaks in their own tongue to give them a sense of calm and to affirm them, and then he affirms them as being part of them, right? He says, brothers, fathers, fellow people. He does not take the moment to separate himself from him, try to create distance. He tries to create a similar feeling. Now, one of the things I found that to be very proficient is 1 Corinthians 9.16 talks about this idea that to the rich I become rich, to the poor I become poor, right? I become all things to all people so that what? So that some one particular person can be saved. So Paul has a clear understanding that when God asks us to do something, when the Lord's will is for us to do something, even if it's hostile, Okay? This initial contact that he's being sent into is a hostile environment. He's going in as the plaintiff, right? He's going to be accused, falsely accused, and people will want harsh things from him. Even though that's the situation, once it's clear that the Lord wants us to do it, that's why I titled the message, What Should I Do? What is the appropriate response when God wants us to do something that we know is potentially hazardous? And by the way, that happens, okay? It's not just to missionaries who go to different countries. The world that we're living in currently right now is hostile towards our faith, okay? For you to stand for what we believe in, for you to stand for what the Word of God teaches is going to create hostility, right? If everybody around you is cussing and making fun of people and doing whatever and you decide not to do that, that could definitely start to ostracize you from your group, right? It's real simple how it works. When all the neighbors are driving into their carports as fast as they can to close their garage and you slowly drive in and roll your windows down and people are like, what's wrong with this person? Just so you can stop and say hello, right? The world's already hostile towards us. So we have to figure out a way to be proficient in this environment. And I think one of the first clues he gives us is speak in their own tongue. 
maintain that integrity of people. We're all sinners, right? There's none righteous, not one. Paul's not any more or less righteous than anyone. He's, a matter of fact, he's going to have to defend himself. This is his defense, right? His defense is, hey, look, yeah, if you're calling me a sinner, if you're saying that I had uh, done some horrible things, I did do those things because I was zealous to persecute those who I thought were working against the true faith. I thought Judaism was the true faith. So that's what I was working against, okay? But I'm a Jew from the beginning. My upbringing is here. I was born in this town. I was, I, I've been around you guys. You guys know me. You know what I do, okay? So either my testimony is crazy. Remember what Gamil said back in Acts chapter 5? When they asked Gamil, who's like one of the most proficient Jewish teachers that was at the time, what do you think of this guy, Paul? What do you think of what he's teaching? This is, like I said, 16, 18 years ago. He said, look, either this guy's crazy and his testimony is going to fade away, why are you guys giving him any time or attention at all? Or it's from God. And if it's from God and this guy's speaking on behalf of God, there's nothing you can do to stop it, right? So he calls them back into accountability saying, hey, look, do you guys not remember 15 years ago, 16 years ago, 18 years ago? I'm not doing anything different than what I was doing the whole time. How, how can you come up with these new charges and these new... I was born here. I was raised here. You're my people. You're my fathers. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. And this is what I've been trained to do. So yeah, when I was fervent, I killed people. And I killed them well, right? Ask Stephen, the first person ever killed in the Bible. Who did they lay his clothes at? Who affirmed that killing? Who ordained that killing? Saul, Paul, right? He said, yes, that was me. They put his clothes right there because that's what I was told to do. Who sent me? You sent me, high priest. You sent me, elders. You sent me, and I told you I would go. So I'm doing what I said I would do. But in the same way, something happened, okay? And in the same way, I'm trying to remember back to all this other stuff. Something happened. So just because I persecuted people with that kind of intensity and did all these different things, something happened to me that had that change. So the defense is now going to be, I'm going to tell you my testimony. Now, this is really important to me. Um, I know I'm one of those people, my wife will tell me, I say certain statistics a lot. I like to repeat certain things a lot. And the reality of the fact that so few people, I won't give you the numbers because I've already bathed you in them, but so few people out of 100 people, so few, less than 10, will ever lead somebody to the Lord. Less than 10 people will ever lead somebody to the Lord. So that leaves 90 people to wonder, what is their role in faith? What is their role in having a testimony in a hostile environment? And they want to hear something from you. And the only thing you should ever say is your testimony. What is the role of a believer? It's to speak your testimony in such a way that the first thing you need to realize is speak it calm, speak it without emotion, and speak it in love. Because when you share your testimony of what God has done for you, it literally becomes irrefutable. Now, that doesn't mean they have to believe it. Irrefutable just means that's what's true for you, and that is absolutely irrefutable. So you've got to know your testimony. We've never had a new believers class here at the church, and maybe somewhere in the future we'll have one as we have more new believers. It was one of my favorite classes that I taught for many years. And one of my favorite things to help somebody develop is that five-minute little chat. You know, when you get baptized, you have to go over it again, right? But other than your baptism is when do you actually take the time to develop and understand your testimony? Paul, tell me, I'm telling you, Paul has been saying his testimony. He's been giving an account of what happened on the road to Damascus so many times. He's very comfortable in speaking it. Plus, he knows how to speak it to identify with the crowd that he's speaking to. So it's great information to us because... 
he doesn't try to help God with his testimony, right? He's not trying to use voice inflection here and thematic acting there and dramatic thing because our testimonies are all different. And some of our testimonies are far more dramatic than others, right? So some people feel like, oh, I can't give my testimony. It's not as dramatic as such and such, so it doesn't have the same power. That's not true. Your testimony, regardless of whatever dramatic it was, is the full power of what you have to share. So he's speaking it calm, and he's speaking it in love. He's done it many times before, and so it's helping him realize, I don't need to start by apologizing. Another thing I'm kind of noticing about Christianity today is it's becoming very weak. It's becoming very feeble. Have you noticed how weak people are about their faith? Everything's kind of like on, the, on your heels. We don't have to apologize. We have no reason to apologize for the cross. If, you, if you're not proud of what the cross represents, if you're not proud of what the cross has done for you, then maybe that's the first thing you need to apologize to the Lord about is your inability to see the value and strength of what he gave us when he said, hold fast in this, that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You, the church, right? You are the church. You're the living, breathing entity called the church. And he affirmed to you that if you hold fast, that you will, nothing will come against you that you will not overcome, 1 Corinthians 10. There's no temptation come upon you for which God has not provided a way through. A sunder, right? A pass, a portal. You may not like it, but you will have a way through. It's a promise. So he's not raising his voice. He's not apologizing, and he's not blaming the environment or the, the circumstances that are happening. And I'm really getting tired of people today in society as we, oh, this, and because of this, I'm doing this. And, and you try to talk with someone about it. Okay, you know, we need to work on your marriage, and here's what I need you to do. Go back to when you stood on the vow and you said, do you take this person with my rubber silicone ring, which is really impressive? Do you take this person for better or for worse? Yes. In sickness or in health? Yes. Till death do you part? Yes. Is this situation you're currently in better or worse? Worse. That's why we call it counseling, right? Didn't you make a vow in front of God, family, and friends to honor that woman, to honor that man? Sometimes it's interesting, like for me, I'm, I'm probably not everyone's choice for counseling, and I would agree. But one of the things I can tell you is I will help you get back to the main thing as quickly as possible. Because the Bible says something about taking a vow. It says, do not take one unless you plan on keeping one, right? Especially in front of God, family, and friends. So look, there's going to be days when you got to rub some dirt on it. That's what my dad gave me, rub some dirt on it. And there's going to be some days where it doesn't make any sense and you got to let it go because it's not going to help you move forward. But you got to get to your testimony and you got to realize that in this hostile environment that you're in, it doesn't matter how much they want to escalate things. The way you de-escalate everything is just say, hey, look, it's not about me. I know you're mad at me. I know you're mad at maybe even the words I'm saying, but it's about him. Okay? It's about his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and what that's done in my life. The effect of the cross is now I don't see things that way anymore. And even though I believe Judaism with everything I had, fervent, yes, zealous is the word that he used. There's a word you're not using every day. How many of you are zealous about something? I mean, he, that's extreme. Like, he's like, yes, if it says this and this is what Judaism teaches, this is what I do. Even to the point that taking, walking into a family's house, taking all of them out, putting them in prison and killing them, if that's what need be done, no problem, okay? To the T, he was zealous. But in the end, he learned this. If I just trust God and the Spirit's responsible for the words, I can stand down. Now, that's another really awesome point that I want to tell you guys. So when you feel like, I don't speak eloquently, I don't even like speaking, that's a great place to be. But the Spirit is what's going to speak for you. It's not you. So take the onus off of you 
and put the spirit back into play and say, when that opportunity comes, when that environment is hostile, when you're the plaintiff and you feel like you're being attacked, stand down, invite the spirit in, and let the spirit speak, right? Because if the spirit's speaking through you, who's ultimately responsible for the result of your speaking action? The spirit, right? That's good because part of the problem that we don't want to speak is we don't want to be responsible for the results. What happens if they don't believe and they go to hell? I mean, that's a pretty horrible thing to think about. But here's the thing. Nobody goes to hell because you didn't speak, right? People go to hell because they choose to go to hell. Hell was not designed for people. 101 church. Hell was not designed. Who was hell designed for? Fallen angels. Correct. Okay. Heaven was designed for people. Why? Because in my father's house, there are many rooms. When he says many, lots of rooms, okay? He's going to make a new heaven come down to earth and recreate for us what Adam and Eve have. He has it all set for human beings to have that kind of relationship. It's a human's being's sole choice in life, the one choice. Man, this is a great theology conversation starter as it is, right? The power of one choice. That's why there's only one unforgivable sin, because you can only do one thing with that choice that you have. You can either refute the Holy Spirit and refuse his movement in your heart. Because the Bible says you don't lead anyone to the Lord. By the way, a pastor, you, we don't lead anyone. The Spirit of God leads someone to him. Okay, So let the Spirit of God speak. And then that removes you from feeling like that result is on you. It's a heavy burden. Which leads me to my second point. So one, stay calm, trust your, trust your message, speak it in love. The more times you give your testimony, the more comfortable you will get in those difficult positions. If you're not comfortable in a difficult position, it's because you're probably not saying your testimony. You're probably not falling back to your faith stronghold. Your hold fast position is your testimony. If you don't know your testimony and you're here today, please, this is your new New Year's resolution. Make time to learn your testimony. Find another brother or sister in here, an elder or someone who can do it, and walk through that you know when someone says, okay, John, i got to ask you something. I've been in business for a long time. What is it about the way that you do business? You just do business differently. I don't want you to fall back and say, well, it's my education at Cal State Long Beach that got me to this position and a degree. No, it's none of that, okay? Your reason why you're different than anybody else is because you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you've asked Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of your life, he changed your testimony. He, he changed you from a devout, pharisaical Judaizer to a follower of Christ, even at the risk of being stoned and beaten and shipwrecked and snake-bitten multiple times. And it made no effect and stopped nothing. He kept saying, fine, and to the death, I can't change what I know to be true now. Why? Because he met the Lord on the road. So one of the second things I think that it leads to now is this, is that he trusts the power of his testimony. He was shown by God, I am no longer under the law, and because I'm no longer under the law, I can explain to you how it was meant to work. The law was simply meant to point you to Jesus, not for you to live by it. It is impossible to live by the law. Even if there was only 60 of them, you would still fail because we got it down to the Ten Commandments for Gentiles, and who of us today can live by the Ten Commandments for one week? Who of us today could live by the five commandments for one day, right? If you so think it in your heart, it is true. A man who hates is equal to a man who murders. Really, you're telling me Jeffrey Dahmer or some hideous, horrible, horrendous person and me the same? Yeah, I'm not telling you that. That's what the word of God says. So be careful when we start thinking about them and us. 
There's only us. There's the human race, okay? And when God says, here's the situation, you're going down there to kill everybody. You have been called, you have been authorized, and you have been ordained by your own people to do that. But God himself is going to call you, right? On the road, God calls him and blinds him. So it's a physical blinding, but it also teaches of a spiritual implication. You think you see the truth. You think you know the truth, but you do not know the truth, right? And there's people in your life right now that think they know the truth, and they're adamant about it. You know what? They're going to be just as adamant about it and go to hell. If that's what they want to think, they're going to go to hell with that thought because there's only one way. We didn't determine that there's only one way. There's only one truth. But that's bigoted, Pastor Jeff, for you to say that. There's many truths. No, there's only one way, one truth, and one life. Come to Jovi's funeral, and I'm going to cover those three words. Why? Because that's what Jesus said, right? He is the author and the authority of salvation. And there's no other way to the Father except through him. We can't substitute. We can't Oprahize it and make it comfortable. Well, all roads lead to Jesus. In a way, it is true because when every human being dies, the Bema seed is waiting for everyone. So all roads do lead to Jesus in some capacity. But is that the truth about what it means after the meeting of Jesus? No, it's not. Okay? I meet Jesus under the pretense that I'm saved by grace, that I've accepted Jesus into my life for the forgiveness of my sins. I've confessed him as Lord and Savior. I meet Jesus under Romans 8. By the way, another reason why we like Romans, theology. It's beautiful in theology and orthodoxy. Great teaching instruction comes from Romans. Now, I stand before the Bema seat with an advocate named Jesus Christ. More legal terms, right? I'm not the plaintiff standing in front of God by myself. I have advocacy in the Lord, and he says, there is no condemnation for this one. Why? Because he is in me. And now I'm not seen for everything that I've done right or wrong. I'm seen for being in Christ. And that's why he goes on in Romans 12 to say, Jeff, give your body a living sacrifice. Don't live in such a way that the world gets to control your destiny. Use your testimony. Use your words. Live in such a way that every day it's just a sacrifice. And whatever the world wants to do and however the world wants to do it, that's on them. But as for you, I'm calling you to a different way. So Jesus blinds him and tells him, I am Jesus. I mean, talk about a personal invite from the Lord. Talk about a testimony. The Lord personally blinded me? The Lord personally spoke to me? And what is my response to the Almighty? Who is this? Wrong number. Hello? He was fully committed, fully committed. Memorized the Pentateuch. You, Matthew talking my Bible verse. He fully memorized those five books and studied under the highest teacher there was, and yet he had no idea who salvation actually came under. So when you meet those people today and you meet those persons that are like, you guys are, it's okay. They're not the first person to think that they know. But there's a way that we have to act. There's a way that we have to live. And there's a method that God has given us. And I think it's so perfectly documented that if we don't do it, like I said, in love. Why in love? Because if we don't, I used to have a symbol. I used to love to crash, but with our electronic things, nothing would happen. I would just hit that piece of rubber and nothing would happen. But, I mean, if you really hit a symbol, it is obnoxious, right? It doesn't matter what we invoke. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we hold fast to. If we speak at people like, I don't tell you because this is what you deserve. If we speak in any such a way that's of us and not of the Spirit, 
we just, we just obnoxiously ruin everything that God's going to use. It's a difficult situation. He's blinded on the road to the place that he was supposed to commit all these different acts. And now the Lord says to him, I'm going to give you a new path. And I'm going to send you in a new direction. And I'm actually going to tell you what I want you to do. Do this, do this, get baptized, and go here. And now I want you to speak to these people. Right? That's what the Lord did to you in your salvation. The day you made a profession of faith, that's what the Lord did to you. He stopped you from the path that you were choosing, from the life that you would have gone down. And in that moment when he met you and he stopped you, he said, no, that's not where I want you to go. I want you to go this way and I want you to do this thing. And I've built you in such a way that this is what you're going to go do. And as we learned last week, we humble ourselves, palms out to the Lord and say, Lord, if this is your will, not my will be done, so be it. I'm going. Hostile environment, I'm going. I love the fact that this guy went into places, spoke the name of Jesus, everyone grabbed their rocks and boulders, threw their rocks and boulders on him, killed them to their own understanding. He's under a pile of rocks and boulders, wakes up from being unconscious, from being pummeled with rocks and boulders, knocks the rocks and boulders off, shakes himself off, knocks the dust off, and goes right back into that same city and preaches the word. How many of us with the first person who picked up a rock would have turned tail? and our running shoes or whatever shoes or our high heels we have on and headed out, right? Oh, they're going to kill me? This is hostile? I have nothing I have nothing to hold fast on. No. I'm holding fast on the fact that if this is the day the Lord has made, then we will rejoice and be glad in it. And if it means dying right here, then so be it. May my body, my, my rotting body under this pile of rocks be a testimony to everyone in this town, because that's what they would then do is leave you rotting in those rocks as a testimony that if you speak that truth in this place, that's what's going to happen to you. And he's saying, so be it. So be it. If that's the words the Spirit of God has given me, so be it. So let me ask you a question halfway through this. How much pressure do you feel when you share your testimony? How many of you are comfortable sharing your testimony? How many of you are so comfortable in sharing your testimony that no matter what the situation is, hostile, plaintiff, not a problem? I guarantee you, Paul has said this so many times that it's his default. It just automatically comes up. He knows what to say and he knows how to say it because he knows it's irrefutable. When you share your testimony with somebody, what you're telling them is, I don't know what's true for you, but let me share what's true with you. And then you're predicating on, this is true for me because I was a certain way BC before Christ. And now I am a new way, right? The Bible says that you're a new creation in Christ, right? And I have a new way because of Christ. That's all I can share with you. I'm not trying to explain it away. I'm not trying to substantiate. I'm just saying I was, and now I am. If your life doesn't have that dichotomy, that difference between the two, that's another concern I would have. Your previous life and your new life in Christ should be diametrically opposed, right? Because there was things that you did and things that you allowed that were no big deal in this life, but now the Spirit of God has a chance to speak because he's living in you, and he says, hey, we don't do that anymore. We don't listen to that anymore. But I've been watching that show for a long time, and it doesn't really bother me, but it bothers me. Okay, you get, you're moving, you're growing, you're doing things. So Paul's saying, hey, look, I'm going to let the Spirit be responsible, the Spirit's going to be accountable, and I'm taking the pressure off of me. So here's my new question for you. If it's God's will that I go into a hostile environment, am I willing to say yes? What should I do when God says go into a hostile environment? I pray. I do my nasal breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth, cleansing. 
Lord, whatever your will is in this situation. If there's one unsaved person in that situation, then I'm going on behalf of that one person who doesn't know that you are, in fact, Christ. Because here's what changes really quick in this passage. In the second half of this passage, we find out something. Paul starts off the passage being the plaintiff and being the accused. But it turns out his life, where he was born, and his birthright to his Roman citizenship is about to completely turn the tables. Paul's about to move from plaintiff to prosecutor. A total change in environment. And I'm wondering if you think, what changed when the environment changed? What happens if it's, I want you to go into this situation and it's hostile and you're the plaintiff and everyone wants to kill you? Okay, what happens if you're going into a situation and now they've wronged you? Well, how did they wrong him? They made charges against him. They've done all these different things. He goes in there and he tells them, hey, look, nothing's going to change. I'm going to stay calm. I'm not going to make any excuses. And I'm going to find this part of the passage that I need to read and read it. Yes, I agree. Very frustrating when I can't find it. You're totally with you, baby. All right. Put the glasses on. Thank you, Robin. That's why I put the glasses in my hand, and then the glasses help me find things. This final charge was they assumed it to be true, but it's not true. So they're going to raise up. I'm going to read verses 23 through 29. They're going to raise up against him and actually flog him and start to have an issue. When they do this, Paul has a response to it. So let me read this, and we'll go over his response. They, uh, starting in verse 22. They, they listened to him and his statement, and then they raised their voices, and they said, Away with him, away with such a man from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander then ordered that he be brought into the barracks, saying that he was to be interrogated and flogged, and they should find out the reason why the people were shouting in such a way against him. Verse 25, and then Paul stretched out with straps, he's tied up, right, he's been bound together, and said to the centurion who's standing by him, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? In verse 26, and the centurion heard this, and then he goes to the commander and told him, saying, what are we about to do? For this man is a Roman. And the commander came and said to Paul, tell me, you're a Roman? And he said, yes. The commander answered, well, I acquired the citizenship for a large sum of money. But Paul said, I was born a citizen. Verse 29, therefore, you know, when there's a therefore in the Bible, you always ask what it's there for. To tell you guys, hey, you made a huge mistake. Therefore, those who were about to interrogate him immediately backed away from him, and the commander was also afraid. We've already talked about this. A Roman centurion commander who's in charge of a hundred of the strongest guys in the thing. This is like the WWE's equivalent to the most baddest guy around, right? This guy is now seriously afraid. Why? Because to put a Roman in chains and flog him without due process meant you're guilty of the crime that you made an accusation against him, and now you stand guilty of that crime. And he knows for a fact that the situation is going to change. But I wanted to look back at the passage, and it just felt like I was missing something, and I realized something. Everything should have changed as soon as Paul saw this tide changing. Okay, I'm being hostile, and I'm being plaintiff, and they're attacking me. Now God is creating a way through. Not only is he creating a way through, he's changing the paradigm and putting me in control. He's giving me the power. I'm going to give it to him. By the way, next week, 
he gives it to him. It doesn't work out so well. Um, he forgets what he's been taught, right? But what he notices here is who are the people acting unruly? Who are the people yelling out? Who are the people acting like wild citizens? Remember back in t- verse 22 and 23? Who's shouting and raising their voices and overacting and being dramatic? The non-believing crowd that's making the accusation. So how would it benefit us in any way if the environment changes from hostile and plaintiff to prosecutor? When God gives you the upper hand, when God gives you the thing, should anything about how we speak change? No. Because now we have a chance to see things clearly. And what he sees now is who are the unruly people? You're making all these accusations against me. I'm the unruly people? Look at who's shouting and throwing dust in the air and ripping their clothes off and screaming, this man has no reason to be on the planet Earth. The crowd. I'm not apologizing for them. I'm simply asking you, do you see? Turn around and see what I see. Okay? I'm not blaming or doing anything. I'm staying calm. I'm simply pointing it out and saying, hey, look, the Spirit of God is moving in me, and the Spirit of God was moving in me 16 years ago when the leader of your teachers, Gamaliel, saw me and said, I don't know what he's doing. He's either crazy and you should leave him alone because he'll fade away, or if it is God, he's gonna, you can't stop him. So it's 16, 18 years later, and it's still going. Chances are it might be God, and you're not going to stop it. Either way, Paul is saying, look, if you want to see something different, look at the people you're talking about. The hypocrisy between me and them is we're all sinners. I called you brothers. I called you fathers. We're all together. We're all sinners. But if there's someone acting inappropriately right now, one thing your testimony will help you allow you to do is say, hey, look, I'm called to act differently. I'm called to be different. I'm called to be a light in a dark world. And part of what I get to invoke in that is even though it's all volatile and going up and I'm going to stay this. I'm going to trust God in this. And I'm going to trust the Spirit to speak so that you can see the situation for what it is. If I speak in the tongues of man and angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a banging cymbal. Church, a lot of us today have become banging gongs. The reason why they're not hearing us anymore is because we're just as obnoxious and loud as everyone else. And somehow we feel like Well, if that's what they're doing and they're being seen, then that's what I'm going to do. We're no different than the world anymore. We're just like the world. They're wearing blue and we're wearing black. It's, it's, It's not what God has called us to. God has called us to be different. He has called us to live differently. If, if your Facebook posts and your Instagram posts sound and feel like everybody else's, then I would just encourage you this. Maybe it's time to take a break from the multimedia world and just go back to having coffee with people. Go back 100 years ago to when there wasn't that. And when you had a problem and Matthew said, just go to the person you're having a problem with and work it out. And if that doesn't work, grab two of your brothers that know you so that it's not misunderstood because taking the accusations of one, biblically speaking, is unfounded. So go with two or three and just say, hey, look, why can't we work this out? We don't have to agree on everything, Rod, right? We don't have to agree on everything, but we need to agree on salvation. We need to agree on what is the main thing. If we're going to say keep the main thing the main thing, then we need to agree on what's the main thing. The main thing is salvation. Your ability to explain the, the end of times. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked in the last two or three years, what's your opinion on this? A premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. Look, somebody's right and somebody's wrong about pre, post, or awe. So we have a 33, 33, and 33 each one. 
But what, but what, what does that matter if they don't know who Jesus Christ is? What does that matter if they don't have salvation? What, what do we gain over here in the theology war? If we want what, what about your opinion on this? What about your opinion on Revelation? I have an opinion on Revelation. Awe and wonder. Awe, I have no idea what they're talking about, so I'm like, ah, I have no idea. Awe. Wonder, I wonder why God put it in the book, because I'm sure it has really clear paths and really wonderful things, and sometimes I get it, and sometimes it makes perfect sense. But here's what I have awe and wonder about. How could someone who's never done anything wrong, who lived an incredibly pure life, went everywhere, did everything, fed everyone, treated all people equally, get completely destroyed, flogged into oblivion, hung on a cross, spit on, and not want to call down revenge, right? How many could Jesus call down if he wanted it? 10,000 upon 10,000? Boom. You talk about a monumental moment in faith? Boom. And yet he's still up in this moment. He's still hanging, right? If you ever, the documentation of how they hang someone, I mean, just the entire implication from everything about it is just brutal, just pain designed. And he sees you and he sees me and he says, forgive them right? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What? That's what's mind-blowing. That's the awe and wonder. If I can't explain revelation to you, I can explain the cross to you because my testimony is salvation, salvation, and salvation. That's the only thing that matters. Get as many people in because everyone else is going to hell if they don't know. Well, this guy's doing this, and, and this lady's doing this, and have you heard what the... I don't care what everyone else is doing. What are me and you doing? What are me and you doing right now to make the main thing the main thing so that we can talk to our neighbors and talk to our brothers and sisters? Well, I haven't talked to my brother in 10 years. Okay, how does that make your brother feel like you're a godly man and that there's something about your faith that's probably different than his, right? Is it a spiritual issue? Oh, yeah, they, they drink all the time. Oh, well, God forbid they drink. Jesus had nothing to do with wine, right? What about his first miracle? So Jesus obviously had some people to drink. The difference is we want to delineate. We want to draw lines in the sand, and our testimony brings it all back to check, and it says, hey, look, I was once a murderer. Paul said, I was a murderer, and you ordained it. I did what you wanted to do, and I did it because I believed it to be true, but I'm not anymore, right? My testimony, my salvation is now allowed the Spirit of God to speak a new truth in me, and I can't go back. I am under grace. I am no longer under the law. And if you live under the law, you're dooming yourself because the law was meant to point to Jesus, not to live by it. 613 rules. 10 is more than enough. 2 is more than enough. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. I mean, just that alone, right? How many of us see a car driving down the road or see better homes and garden? Like my, my old pastor used to say, what was the point of better homes and garden? Who, who started that magazine so that you could just realize that 80% of the world has a better home and garden than you do? How is that helpful? Why, did you, why would you buy something that just goes into your covetousness? But think about every magazine we look, even the newspapers we read. We, we, we build that stuff into our environment, right? How does that help us communicate the death, burial, and resurrection to Jesus Christ? Because that's the only thing we need to agree on. I love, don't get me wrong, I love academia. I have a master's in Christian education. I'm well-versed in good 20 of the major religions, but I'm not going back and doing my doctorate. I want you guys to know that I will never have a doctorate title in front of my name. Because I feel like once you put that title on, then people are like, oh, he knows or she knows. And I want you to realize something. I'm admitting to you right now, I don't know. 
There are things that I don't understand. Seriously, someone explain to me the Trinity with water, steam, and ice. That's as good as it gets for me, right? Because isn't water, steam, and ice still the same thing? His, when it says his ways are not our ways, when it says his thoughts are not our thoughts, why do we want to try to bring him down so that we can get on? Can we really get on the same page as the Almighty? Does your span hold the universe? What are we doing? Leave him alone. Let him be sovereign. Keep him in the exalted state and humble yourself and just realize, share your testimony. Environment's hostile, Pastor Jeff. Share your testimony. The environment's good. I mean, things are... Share your testimony. Don't get crazy. Don't get sad. Don't get mad. Just stay calm. Speak the truth and allow the Spirit of God to share your testimony. God is moving. He's never stopped and he will continue moving until he returns. We have that in his word. They flogged him. They beat him. Paul asks the centurion, is this lawful? Uh, no, Paul, not only is it not only not lawful, but it's illegal because now I stand condemned like you. If God controls the whole situation, then God controls the results. And Paul is not trying to jump in and say, okay, I have the upper hand. I'm going to choke him out right now. By the way, next week, he does try to do the double barrel, you know, now that I got you. And it doesn't work out. He's going to start off chapter 23 by backpedaling quickly when he realized he just called the high priest and the elders a whitewashed tomb. <laughs> Turns out that's not good, okay? You're trying to bond with all people and make common ground with all people next week. I liked it when you did that next week. Coming up next week. <sighs> so what do we need to do? We need to take a deep breath and realize those three things. When the environment's hostile, as long as it's the Lord's will and it's clear that you go, stay calm, speak in love, boldly move in, and then invoke the Spirit to speak. As we do that, what does that say? That I'm trusting the power of my testimony, I'm trusting the power of my conversion to speak to the situation no matter how different it is, good, bad, or indifferent. Your testimony of who God is and why your theology changed is irrefutable, okay? They can either believe it or they can refute it. But just, that's the same thing they're going to do with the Spirit of God. You're either going to believe God one day or you're going to refute His Spirit. It's the same decision that they have to make with that. But they are not refuting me and you because me and you don't save, okay? We don't have the power to save. That is why it's also important to realize if someone has wronged you and you need to forgive someone, be very cautious about harboring forgiveness from someone, okay? How can I harbor for You've done something wrong to me, and I say, well, I'm never going to forgive you, Bill. Why? Because I'm mad. But it's a very dangerous situation for a believer to be in that, because can I ultimately truly forgive a sin that, that I believe Bill committed against me? No. Who can ultimately forgive sin? Only one person, Okay? And since only one person can ultimately forgive sin, for me to invoke myself in this and then usurp the authority of God and say, I'm not going to forgive you, I'm usurping the authority of God. Only God could forgive him anyways. When Bill asked for forgiveness, what happened right with that? When you ask God for forgiveness, he said, okay, let's talk about this. That was a pretty big sin. So 72 Hail Marys and 13 Our Fathers later, we'll work it out, right? I've always wondered that, like, for the Catholic brothers and sisters to have to invoke all these different prayers. Like, some of the stuff we do is pretty bad. Like, how many prayers do you really have to work it out with? The... Thank goodness we don't have to do that. The Bible says when you inclinate yourself to the, when, when you inclinate to the Spirit of God and you know He's calling you on and you inclinate and you say, Lord, 
He knows what you're going to say. And then he doesn't forgive it as far as the north is from the south. Why is that? Because someone places a north pole and a south pole every year, and someone from the, the society that keeps track of all that stuff makes sure that these things are in place so it's measurable. Okay? So I can take you, if we had that time, energy, and money, to the north pole and we can stand on it. It's an actual placard, right? And I can take you to the South Pole, which means then I could measure how much forgiveness God will give an individual in a given lifetime. But he said, I forgive you as far as the East is from the West. That's a problem for people because we don't know how far it goes. We're still learning. Hubble and all these different telescopes just tell us there's more and more and more and more out there. Isn't that a blessing for you and me? When we keep the main thing, the main thing, when we just base it on holding fast to that our salvation and our testimony of God has something to say, even to a hostile crowd that wants to kill me, I'm just going to hold fast that somehow I'm going to share my testimony. Think of all the things he could have shared. Think of all the things this guy knows. This guy writes 14 books of the New Testament. He's got a ton of information. But what does he say in the most dire situation when they're ready to kill him, flogging him, strapped down? What does he say? Let me tell you what happened on the road to Damascus. How many times has he said that? Pastor Jeff, don't you get tired of saying the same thing sometimes from the pulpit? Church, all I have to offer you is my testimony. I was the front row kid in that little Baptist church, Berean Baptist down here in Santa Ana, and it was hellfire and brimstone, and I was convinced my mom called him every week and said, my son, and so he was like, you, and I was like, what is wrong with me, and I'm a terrible kid, and so I would pray, and I would go forward, and I would confess Jesus, and I, Monday, yeah, Tuesday, oh, Wednesday, huh. Thursday, done. Friday, oh. Saturday, I got to go to church. Sunday, I'm sinner, and I, none of that worked. I was just like over and over. It was just this vicious cycle. I just couldn't figure out what happened to this forgiveness and being saved. And it was a terrible thing. And then Hume Lake, you know, simple Hume Lake, just a camp where the kids were up this week at camp and hearing other kids give their testimony and hearing the singularity of a decision and this changing of a life that God had did and realizing it is a single thing, but it's an ongoing event for the rest of your life to figure out how to live with the decision that you made. And in that single decision at Hume Lake, everything changed and nothing has been the same it's 58 years later from 13 and nothing's changed i wake up every morning with that same awe and wonder what am i going to do with my salvation today how am i going to say thank you god for saving me wretched me how am i going to say that today i'm done and i'm going to call the elders up to come up and uh do communion so that if you're available to do communion with me come on up one final thought Paul wanted to wait for the moment to be right. Paul wanted to always see the Lord be faithful. Why didn't, I asked you earlier, why didn't Jesus call 10,000 upon 10,000 down? When he could have? When he should have? Because we learned the week before, what would my father do? What is the will of God? That's what I want to do. I know that there's going to be some opportunities for you in 24 to share the word of God. I know there's going to be some chances and some very unique situations for you to share this year your faith. And I just want you to know in advance, some of those chances are going to come in hostile environments. Some of those chances that you share may result in your neighbor looking at you or someone that you work with a little differently. 
And the results of that might make you think, is this worth it or not? But some of you are going to share from positions of strength where people know you and they know you live differently. And you have every opportunity to invoke and emotionally show and do everything. Don't do any of that. Hold fast. Stay calm. Speak the truth about who Christ is and what he did in your life in love. And with your palms open, ask them, hey, look, this is what God did for me. Would you consider letting him do the same for you? As we commune with the Lord this morning, I just want to remind you that the word communion is hybrid. It's common union. It talks about the communal idea of the shared thoughts and feelings we have with God. He didn't set us here and leave and we're on our own like the deists believe. He didn't set us here and say, good luck with it all. He sent his son to live with us so that when we have good days, when our friend falls and is in the hospital, when we have bad days, whatever we're going through, he can go through that with us. We have a savior who understands. He also wants to communicate this, that every time we do this, there used to be the thing on that says, do this in remembrance of me, right? Every time we take communion, that's what we're saying to him is, Lord, remind us, communicate with us, show us once again that you're with us in our hearts, in our thoughts, and in our minds, so that we have the ability that no matter what the environment is, is to keep the main thing the main thing, so help us, God, because there is, church, only one way. There is, church, only one truth, and there is, church, only one life, and I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just telling you in love, please make that profession of faith today. If you know somebody or if you're in here today and this is the first time you've ever heard that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life, and that he died on that cross willingly to give his life a sacrifice for you, do not spend any more time the rest of this year wondering what the most important thing you could do is. Make a profession of faith today. Would you please come and join us for communion? Come down the left side and the right side, please.
Thank you, Matthew, for reminding us that we're supposed to cling to something. Not supposed to cling to the TV. Not supposed to cling to our wealth or our 401k, 501k, 601k, wherever you're at with your numbers. We're not even supposed to cling to our best friends or our spouses. Church, we're supposed to cling to one thing and one thing alone. That old rugged cross. That's the emblem of our hope. That's the emblem of our strength. That's the power of our testimony, right? I told you last week, it's like a giant plus sign, right? It doesn't matter what you bring to the table. It doesn't matter what you think or feel about your words. It's you plus the Spirit of God who holds, holds the cosmos in his hands. You're good. You can do this. And every time you take this little piece of bread and put it inside of you and chew it around, you're reminding yourself it's the power of the Spirit of God inside of you that makes you more than a conqueror. By yourself, you're doomed. But because of this, and every time we do this, and so he told them that night when he's with his friends, his brothers and his sisters, it's okay. Take and eat this bread. And every time that you do it, remind yourself that I am the source of your strength. Do this in remembrance of him. And in the same way, after the meal, he had the privilege to pass the cup. The cup was a representation of the source of cleansing. A cleansing that turned the red stained garment that we wear, crimson, to white as snow. Interesting that a colored item turned another color item white as snow but the one thing we can hold fast and true is we know that it did and you my friends will stand before the Lord in that bema seat one day as every knee will bow and every tongue will confess but you my friend will stand in Romans 8 light because of this for there is no condemnation for those in Christ do this remembrance of me Father God, I just thank you for communion. I thank you for the simplicity of two elements. That it might, it might bring to this earth, to this life, something that all of us hope that we have. This, this idea of eternity with you. But nothing makes it more tangible than trying to feel worthy enough to take communion. And I know there's people that struggle with communion. Maybe even some who don't take it because they feel unworthy. And it's substantiated in God's word. But I pray, Father, that we would take communion under the pretense that it's never been about being worthy. That we are not under that law anymore that my brother Paul once spoke about. We are under grace. And now the grace of God is pervasive. And it is the time and the period of grace. And we need to keep the main thing the main thing. And we need to get simple. And we need to get small, and we need to go back and hold fast to the one thing we know true, that testimony that you gave us. I pray this morning, Father, that you would revive the testimony of Jesus Christ in every single person in this building this morning, 
every single person that will listen to this message online and every conversation that will come from this, Father, that we would New Year's resolve to keep our testimony at the forefront of everything we say and do so that the lost might come into saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Join with me as we close with How Great Is Our God. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself in tries to hide and trembles at his voice and trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great is our God Beginning and the end, beginning and the end. The Godhead three in one. Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion and the Lamb. How great is our God. Sing with me. Thank you very much. If you have any prayer requests or you need to pray, please stay after. The boxes are on the back if you need to drop donations or cards off. If you're staying for the golf thing, please just go across the street to the family room and catch up with you there. God bless you all. We'll see you all next week. Tries to take its claim over my heart I have tried to hold it all together But 
Hey, 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 quick update, uh, update on Bill. He's doing okay. He's uh, doing better. We finally got a text from Sherry. Might just have been an allergy to something. So keep your prayers going. But first word from the hospital is doing better. So thank you guys, and we'll see you across the street.